Welcome everyone to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney. Our goal here is to give you some actionable takeaways that will help you lead your teams. Thanks for joining us on this leadership journey. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney from the Leadership Program. I am so excited today because we're talking about everyone's most dreaded topic. We're going to talk about transformative feedback, improving performance through those difficult conversations. And I brought somebody here today who is a masterclass himself in having difficult conversations and receiving difficult conversations. He may absolutely be the most fun person in our office to make fun of because <laughs> he loves he loves feedback, even in joking form. But I want to welcome Mr. Tom Armstrong here with us. He's our senior director of programming, meaning he's in charge of a lot of people in a lot of tough situations tough places, <laughs> making tough choices, and a lot of tough. He's just a lot of tough. <laughs> and he used to be a professional musician, and he's an awesome percussionist and drummer. So I don't know. I may ask you to get out your sticks at some point, Tom, because <laughs> I feel like I put you on the spot all the time. Anyway, Tom and I have worked together for about 15 years now, 12, with him working full-time in the role, in a version yep. of the role that he's in now. And I invited him here today because one, he loves to talk about this conversation. I do. Two, as an employee, he would always ask me and still does for feedback and is kind of ready to hear this difficult feedback and is somewhat disappointed if I don't have any difficult feedback to give him. <laughs> so that is a, a uh, differentiator about you, Tom, that I don't know that I've ever told you. But anyway, Tom, welcome. Thank you, Christine. Thanks for that introduction. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're welcome. You're right. I hadn't really uh, thought about it, but I do crave it, and I like it when you give it to me. And when it's hard to hear, there's probably some nugget in there that's the most important to hear. So yeah, it's true. But yeah, thanks. Hi. Hi. I find sometimes if I don't have something, you're a little disappointed in me. So I have to like bring my A game <laughs> of like, what can I tell Tom that he can improve upon? Anyway, we're going to jump right into it. So just to define things for folks today, because this is such a big topic area. What we're talking about today is transformative feedback, how to improve performance through real conversation. And part of that is that it can be difficult. It can feel difficult. It can feel muddy, right? Because nobody wants to have necessarily difficult conversations at work. We want to get our job done. We want things to work out really well, but we are human beings. And there are going to be times where people need to see some of their blind spots, where they need to hear some coaching or some feedback from people. And more often than not, managers or leaders in companies aren't having these conversations enough. One of the reasons that I brought Tom on today is because he is a leader in the company that is in a position and, you know, harnesses his power in this is to have conversations with people all the time to improve performance. And sometimes that's positive, right? Sometimes it's important to have positive feedback. And we've talked about that a little bit in other podcasts, and we'll talk about it more. It's important to give people positive feedback that's specific and often and 
so forth. But there's more often than not, there are two other kinds of feedback. One is these kind of smaller bits of feedback that are saying, hey, just make an adjustment here slightly, or this, you know, maybe you could have handled this a little bit differently, or this might produce a better result based on my experience as a more senior leader, for instance. And then there's a third one, which is kind of bigger topic areas that are going to take longer to coach in an employee and are going to take longer to see results. So all three of those are important in how you give feedback regularly I mean, I'm curious when you think of it for the typical employee, like how much of that, if you were to break those up into percentages, how much would you say you're giving positive feedback versus these little nudges versus these bigger, difficult conversations? Hmm. Quantify it. Is it a third, a third, a third? Yeah. I know. Well, it's actually very dependent on the individual employee. I do have to tailor it to the needs of the employee and the stage that they might be at in their performance. Someone who has been at their specific role, for example, for like three years, four years, they're gaining high level of expertise in it. I'm really going to them for advice. <laughs> like the feedback is less. They don't need it as much. It might even be a little bit like, we're good. Like I get it. As opposed to someone who's new and needs more guidance. And I think that they're actually very accepting of corrective feedback because there's an assumption that they don't know everything and they need it. They need to understand the job so you can give them corrective feedback a lot and they eat it up. So it, it just depends on need. And I try to manage it based on need. So one person who's been with us for a while could expect less corrective feedback but I'm talking to them, you know, every week and we're having one-on-ones and kind of flows in there and I'll say things, but it's not as deliberate. The folks that are earlier need more. So it depends. It's, it's hard for me to say exactly, but the goal for me is always to have definitely more positive than corrective or more affirming feedback than corrective. So, all right, I'm going to uh, say that it's three to one. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a numbers three, gal. Three to one. Three to one is the ideal. Meaning three, three, okay. three affirming feedback and then your corrective. But if you're brand new to the company and I need to give you directives to tell you how to do your job and I'm like, of course, you're not going to do a lot of it right. So it's actually going to probably be more corrective at the start. Otherwise, I'm just, how am I going to do three to one with a new employee? Seems impossible. Absolutely. And actually, it's the best time to give that type of directive small nudges even bigger ones is right away at the beginning because people are so much more open because people want to be successful. So we're going to talk in this episode really about obviously the importance. We find that one of the biggest ways to derail companies is to not be having direct conversations with people. And that means either the conversations are happening behind people's backs And people are talking that this person has a performance issue, but someone's not dealing with it. And that happens more often than we realize. It's so common. So common. And a lot of the reason why people leave companies is because they're not getting feedback. So that's one. People are talking behind your back and not having them outright. Or two, people aren't dealing with it at all. They're just letting these things simmer until they blow up or somebody leaves. And those are the two biggest mistakes that people make that we find. That's what we hear back. And the reason that they want us to talk about this topic and work with their employees on it is because of exactly that. They want to start to say, this doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can actually be a good thing. We can change the perception of this and people will stay more. We found that when we ask people in exit interviews 
in companies like why you left, their reasoning is very different from what the organization thinks or what the managers think. And often it's that they were in a vacuum and that they weren't given any feedback. If you're here in this podcast today, you're probably searching for this topic because you're struggling with something right now, or you know in your heart of hearts, you have to have a difficult conversation. This tends not to be the podcast that people listen to for fun. This tends to be the one that people listen to because they need it, right? Like yeah, they need some, it's like pain relief. Yeah. Exactly. You're suffering and you need some way not to suffer. We're here with your medicine. <laughs> um, yeah. Or you know that you have a culture in your organization where this needs to be amped up, right? Where people maybe aren't having those radical conversations, those difficult conversations, those performance conversations that you feel that they should be having. In the next podcast, Tom, I'm going to have you stick around because if you want to get specific, actionable steps that you or your team can use, stick around, come to the next podcast where we're going to really dive into some action steps on this. This first part is going to be kind of an overview of it. So I'm going to ask Tom a lot of questions about this because like I said, he's good at it. And I want to know like, Tom, we do tons of workshops every year for tons of companies and schools and you name it. And this topic is probably the most requested because it is such a pain point for so many people. So why do you think navigating difficult conversations is a thing that keeps so many managers and leaders up at night? Yeah. I mean, I can speak for myself. I've been on the bad end receiving a difficult conversation that was done poorly by the person hmm. talking to me. And so, for example, if I've had a few of those in my life, I don't want to have the difficult conversation because I think that's how it's done. And it was awful <laughs> and yeah. emotionally maybe painful for me. And I carry it with me and I have some resentment or whatever around it. So it's a painful experience for me, potentially multiple times in my either career or life in general, whatever it is. And then I don't want to be that person. So I want to avoid it because I think that by having a difficult conversation, that's how you do it. And, mm -hmm. and it's painful. And another thing is that I don't necessarily know how to start. So I think sometimes just knowing how to start can get me going, not having a path because you don't necessarily get trained in this in life. You might've had some bad experiences with it. You think that's how it's done and now you're doing it and you're doing it poorly and getting poor results. It's just very emotional. Yeah. Like it's, it has actually painful. It's one of the most painful. There's great parts of being a leader. There are few, most of it hurts. And this is, <laughs> this is, this is one of the things that hurts a lot about leading is having that difficult conversation. Yeah. I heard an athlete recently. I loved this. I think she was like an Olympic gymnast or something. And she said that a coach had told her when she didn't hit, you know, a certain trick that she was supposed to hit said, if you are going for something in life, so let's, in our situation, talk about leadership. Then a third of the time, you're going to be great. Hmm. And a third of the time, you're going to fail. And a third of the time, you're just coasting. Wow. And so really, when we're talking about navigating like these difficult conversations, we're in that coasting time going, oh, I really want to be in this one third on the top level. But most likely, my fear is that I'm going to fail and be on the bottom. But there's no other way to do it. And she always kept that in mind so that if she missed a trick, she'd be like, okay, that's part of my third on the bottom. Hmm. You know, it's going to work out. 
eventually. And that was just one of the ways that she kind of tricked herself. But yeah, I love what you were saying about it's our fear. And if you can name it, like the thing when I can't sleep at night, usually it's because I haven't really identified what is the real problem yet. And I'm just swimming in these Mm -hmm. emotions and uncomfortableness and feeling like I don't have control. Yeah. I mean, Christine is funny because you're a great storyteller. So I'm assuming you probably tell yourself some stories too. (laughs) (laughs) All the time. (laughs) So we create our own story, you know, line until we have the actual conversation. If we can learn how to do the conversation well, and then you find out what the actual story is, you're dealing with concrete stuff. But in the meantime, it's all full of your own assumptions, your own, Mm. you know, ideas about the other person's intentions or whatever. And now you have this potentially worse situation in your head than the actual situation is. completely, And you can make it worse if you have the conversation poorly. And by the way, all my conversations, difficult conversations, I used to fail at them all the time. I only got good at it when someone showed me how to be better. Yeah. And Tom is one of our better leaders in the company. So imagine if you are running an organization, if you're an HR director out there, if you're a CEO, if you're a senior director, you have people underneath you that feel exactly the way that Tom feels or that I feel that are staying up at night worried about this and potentially are either not having these conversations or having them poorly. That's what the research shows anyway. So what we're trying to do today is talk about why this is important as an organization to confront these difficult conversations and to get better at having them and turning them into like transformative conversations rather than thinking of them as just difficult. And then having some real key ways that you can, then having some real key actionable ways that you can make change and you can help people sleep better, perform better, and lead happier fuller lives. Yeah. So that's all we have on our plate, Tom. Can you solve that for everyone today? <laughs> so tell me what you're, what you do. What are your tricks now, so to speak? What are some of the things that people should learn from you? Well, or maybe something bad you did, like what's a mistake? Oh, I've, yeah, I've made, I continue to make mistakes with this. I don't do them as often as I used to, you know, and I actually get more pleasure than I, and then pain out of these conversations because I have more confidence after having them be successful. It builds up confidence, but really that comes from practice. So, you know, I could describe some of the ways that I failed. I'm not really happy to do it's embarrassing, but all my great growth has come after my biggest embarrassments, you know? So where do you want me to start with a failure or with uh, some ideas about ways to succeed? Well, I love drama. So let's start with a failure, Tom. I'm going to put you on the spot because first of all, I want to just highlight what you just said is that you get more pleasure from pain out of these conversations now because of practice. Oh, there's three Ps there. Pleasure, (laughs) pleasure, pain, practice. Um, Anyway, share with us when you weren't so good at it. And I know you still are in practice, right? You're not. It's lifelong. There's another P. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Share with us a story of like maybe when it wasn't so good, because this is probably what most managers and leaders are also feeling inside that they don't share. The biggest mistake that I've made with feedback generally, there's different aspects of feedback. There's the kind of feedback that's like the little nudges, and we'll go into this later, but if you think about like little nudges that you give someone in terms of like, this is correct that you're doing. Please do more of that. Please change this thing because that's hurting performance or whatever. Those are like little nudges that you can give people very quickly. There's feedback that comes from sitting down with someone and talking to them 
uh, like maybe for a half hour to work through something that's more complex. And that probably is something that needs a longer term, you know, change. So before I dive too much into that kind of like theory side, the first mistake that I could think of, like the big one that I made early on with this was getting to the point with an employee, it was a part-time employee where I had seen this person not perform well repeatedly, given them some feedback on it. They continue not to perform well and some time passes. And then finally we decided to let them go. And when we let them go, this person actually made an audible sound. That's, so that's the hardest thing in leadership is I find is, is telling someone they no longer have a job with you and the relationship is ending. It's, it's hard because they're committed in their way. They're just not performing at the level that's needed just to keep their job or whatever the reason is. So we let the person go and they made this sound. The sound was that they were surprised and hurt. They were hurting and they were surprised and no one wants to do that to somebody. So that made me really reflect. Did this person know? They had no idea they were about to be let go. So I didn't want to experience that again. I wanted people to have such clarity about their performance. You can't keep everybody forever. Like we all want to, but sometimes you have to let people go. And by that time, they should either be able to anticipate it, but it's not a surprise because they've been given guidance all along and it's just still not working. And it's not a fit at that point, but I didn't want to surprise anymore. And that, that still hurts me that moment. You know, Tom, you reminded me that before I ran the leadership program, one of my jobs was I worked in HR for like a global company. And so I learned a lot about hiring, firing, you know, performance feedback during that process. And when I came to our company and was responsible then for, you know, firing people, I would try to control that situation. Mm. And so I would always be the one firing people because I thought, well, in my head, I thought, well, I, I know how to handle this. I know the proper way. I'm not legally going to do anything wrong or say anything wrong. And what I found was that I then had to always be the one firing people even if those people never saw me wow. in their regular life. And I realized this is wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I am not letting my leaders grow if I'm always the one controlling this situation. And so as soon as I said, okay, do you think you can handle this? Like they'd saw me do it enough times. They were like, yep. And I did not sit in there. Boy, does it change? One, you fire less people <laughs> because of that moment that you just said, that surprise. When you go through that, nobody wants to go through that. And so you work a lot harder on giving them gifts of feedback so that you don't have to have that bigger pain point. And so I found that I was actually stunting my company by me controlling all the careful firings. And now I have managers and leaders that do all of it. I rarely come in unless it's a real tricky situation where someone says, I need your help. And boy, one is it's a lot better for me, but two is you guys are such better leaders because of it. Yeah. And I think Christine, like we're not suggesting that people hang on to everybody on their team. No. Right. Like that's impossible as a business leader. Sometimes the problem was that the wrong person was hired, but if most people can be coached and guided to perform at the required level, if not above, it just takes work on the supervisor's part. That's your job as a leader is to get your team to perform. 
I'm going to push back on that. Go you think it. most people can succeed, even if it's a bad hire? Oh, no. If it's a bad hire, that's true. But I don't know that until I've really tried to help them. So I have to have the mentality of, I believe in you. You're going to succeed. I have to believe. I can't be taking any steps because I have to go in compliance to get to a point where I can fire somebody, right? Every step that I take is because I believe in that person honestly and authentically. No, I'm not making it up. Like I have to completely believe in people. And then there's a point where all the evidence is suggesting this relationship needs to end for everybody's sake, you know, and then that happens and there's a process for that. But I'm never giving feedback. I'm never doing performance improvement plans or anything like that just to be able to get someone out of the company. It's always because I believe in you and we're going to, and you know, I mean, it's, that's true in relationships. I think you got to give everything you got to a relationship before you end it. True. All right. So people that are out there that are responsible for managers or leaders in the company, what should they be doing in your mind to help grow this skill in their leaders or in their managers? Okay. There's a lot of things. One is learn to be comfortable with discomfort, accept that discomfort is a part of the job. And sometimes this will be uncomfortable. That's how you get your breakthroughs. Another would be that you need to practice incessantly. You need to practice, you know, we're talking about a lot of different sort of subcategories of feedback, but generally speaking, you need to practice feedback. You need to practice affirming feedback, like positive reinforcement, and you need to practice the corrective feedback, the stuff that's saying, I need you to change such and such. So it's just practicing it a lot. I think sometimes we put it in the category, if you look at the Eisenhower matrix, you know, the, is it important and is it urgent? What's the level of important and urgency? Feedback can be living in important, but not urgent. And I think you need to move it up into the urgent and important category somewhere up there so that you're continuously doing it. Or else it will get moved up there on its own anyway. It'll do it when it's really ugly. <laughs> You'd rather control that, right? Exactly. <laughs> The trick I tell myself is that I'd rather be in the driver's seat giving feedback or asking for feedback than having it sprung on me. Yeah. So that's the trick I that's tell myself is like, I'd rather be the one addressing this, even if I have a feeling that someone's upset with me. So I'd rather go to them first because somehow it helps me to listen more or to be more present in it. Because I have a tendency to either avoid conflict, which a lot of people do. I have that. Or I have a tendency to try to please. And even though I am embarrassed about that, it's true. And so if I'm going to make a mistake, it's in one of those two things usually. And this is in my personal life. It's with my husband. It's with my kids. It's with my friends. And it's also with my colleagues and the people that work for me. It's going to be those two things. It's what I have to work out in this life. Hmm. So if I know if I'm feeling the need to either please or need to avoid something, that's an indicator to me that I've got to figure out how to get in the driver's seat of this. Wow. Interesting. I love that. I'm, I'm not sure. Have we clearly defined our areas of, of topic? I mean, because we're sort of talking about difficult conversations. And I mean, I touched on it briefly earlier. It's a little bit distinct in some ways from feedback. But, you know, we were saying that it's stakes are high, opinions vary, and uh, emotions are strong with difficult conversations. Like those are three sort of characteristics as opposed to feedback, which is where, you know, someone's showing up late to a meeting regularly and I, and I need to ask them to please be on time. 
that's usually not a difficult conversation. I'm curious, like an example, just so that people kind of get what we're even talking about when we're saying, what would spark a difficult conversation? Well, Tom, I would say that that's different for different people. Yeah. Because some folks that we work with at companies will absolutely define for me that it is scary for them. And I'm talking first time managers. It's scary for them to even talk to somebody about showing up late to work. Yeah. Okay. So that can still be in that category. You're right. It really depends. So I think any sort of feedback that you have to give someone that is not just positive, that is not just you did a great job on this for such and such reason can be difficult for people all the time. And what I'm looking for is how do we transform that in our head from difficult? Because as soon as we say something's difficult, we don't want to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we transform that idea of negative into constructive or you know, transformative because vocabulary matters. Words matter yeah. in how we trick our brains to have these conversations. You know, I just was reading, Tom, we talk sometimes about the generational differences. If you're a baby boomer and there are still a lot of baby boomers in the workforce and they tend to be at higher levels, they want feedback and they want to be appreciated for their experience, but they want feedback in more standard professional ways. Gen Xers like you and my and me, we tend to want feedback a little more casually. Because we grew up very casually with a very kind of permissive parents, right? <laughs> Latchkey kids. Not, not, my, my mom would crack up. <laughs> my, my mom was not permissive. Your mom's a little bit. <laughs> Ma, if you're out there listening. <laughs> I don't know, Tom. Some of your antics on your farm would say otherwise. <laughs> anyway, millennials, which are now coming into big leadership roles in organizations, want regular check-ins all the time, want more feedback than we as Gen Xers are used to. So we've been adjusting for millennials who also hmm. have a hard time if they're not given positive feedback. So they're helping us grow and learn how to give more positive feedback to folks. Yeah. And then Gen Z's that are coming into the workforce now, right? These are people born after 1998. They want multiple check-ins a week, often daily. What? That is something that if you are a Gen Xer, that's hard. We are not used to. Yeah. Right? So multiple check-ins a week daily would probably have driven us crazy when we were coming into the workforce. And so we think that's how we should treat others, right? Hmm. But the reality is they are used to constant feedback. Think about their phones, think about Instagram, think about whatever. They put something out in the world, feedback comes right away. So in the workplace, these are generalizations, but they're showing this to be true in surveys that they're doing with young workers. They would like feedback on a daily basis. So those of us in leadership roles have to change because if we're going to work with them successfully, we've got to be comfortable giving more and more feedback yeah. and recognizing that feedback can be positive and not necessarily negative as we might have that, even if it's a hard subject. That makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially if it's a hard subject. So with that in mind, if you're training your managers, what are your top three things you would want your managers to do differently when it comes to having the difficult conversations, not the positive ones, but the difficult ones. Yeah. Okay. So first one's very easy and seems obvious, but it's really true is uh, have it, have the courage to have it, which you've kind of mentioned. People really avoid it. 
and they don't believe me sometimes. My experience with difficult conversations with the longer feedback session, not the 30 second feedback, I'm giving a little nudge, but the, we're going to sit down and really talk about, you know, something that we got to work through is that because, you know, the model that we use is collaborative. It's not this paternal uh, you know, I'm scolding you situation. But I think a lot of people grew up with that somehow. You've watched it a lot on TV that that's how it happens. You know, the boss calls you in and yells at you. So that's the perception somewhere in the back of the mind that subconscious people have about what this even means. So they're afraid to have it and people avoid it like the plague. And it's actually a very, I mean, it's a funny word to use. It's a very loving process. You're actually caring for someone. You're showing a genuine interest in their growth and you know a genuine interest in the organization's health by having this conversation so getting out of the way a little bit is the hard part and and then actually having the courage to do it and to practice it knowing you'll also fail sometimes but stepping back in and continuing to do it and having the faith that you can actually develop this into a skill that becomes highly effective where everybody leaves smiling when i have my coaching sessions with people or we're having difficult conversations i think literally i think it's 95% of the time both of us walk out feeling so good. I'm not a magician. I just use a pattern. A pattern. Yeah. So you're like, so what's the pattern? You're going to keep that to yourself now and <laughs> yeah. put that out there, Tom? Well, it's, uh, it's my intellectual property, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think when I'm sitting down with someone to have a difficult conversation, it depends on the context and the type of conversation. The one pattern that I have to do is I have to do some pre-work. And there's usually about 10 steps that I go through to prepare myself in advance of the conversation. And then when I sit down for the conversation, I have about six steps that I go through that actually some of the steps that are also after the conversation that are basically monitoring to see if something improves, you know, just checking in. But there's a few steps that I also take during the conversation that make it much more likely. Basically, it's risk reduction. I'm reducing the risk of uh, conflict. You can never make it zero, but I can dramatically impact the risk of a negative outcome by following these steps. But the fact that I even have the steps make me so much more comfortable going in and doing it because I know how to start and I know how to finish. And I've done my pre-work to set myself up for success. So without that, I'm terrified of any difficult conversation. But as long as I have that in place, I can go in with confidence and feeling good. Yeah, that's a great one. Preparing, right? Preparing for these conversations. Often because we're avoiding them, we don't want to prepare. Everyone that I've done poorly is because I've done it in the moment when I've been very emotional. Yeah. And I almost can't stop myself and I'm so angry or I'm so upset, frustrated that I go into having this conversation feeling very right mm. and yes, always ending up wrong. No, that, that is so, that nails it, Christine, is that the biggest obstacle for me in any of these conversations is when I am right. Yes. Because being right gives me the feeling of being right. And the feeling of being right changes the way I do the conversation and the other person receiving that, it doesn't work. I need to come at these conversations from a place of humility and curiosity. And that combination always helps. When I'm right, I tend to have some kind of moral superiority going in. And who wants to talk to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> or someone who's like over emotional in that moment, like myself. <laughs> and we look at these topics all the time, right? So there's a ton of managers and leaders out there that are new at this, that basically 
came into management with the only training that they have is whatever they learned when they were in elementary school, or maybe if they had some good parents that talked about how you have difficult conversations, or they know what they don't want to do. They've probably had a bad boss somewhere and they just, they're managing from a place of, I don't want to be like this person, therefore I will do the opposite. Yeah. Which often means not having a conversation because I don't want to mess up. I don't want to be bad. And there's so many opportunities to be bad in difficult <laughs> conversations because yeah. you kind of have to practice. I love what you said about like, you know, Tom, you're a musician and you teach me this all the time because I am not a musician. But like what I love about you is you say when I start anything new, learning it, it's hard. I'm not good at it. Even though you're a very seasoned percussionist, when you start uh, like a higher level piece. So talk about that because you're going to say it better than I do that at first you kind of suck until you practice and practice and practice and get better at it. Right. Yeah. Especially as a musician, you spend a lot of time in your own little world, you know, practicing to improve on something and you only hear yourself sounding like crud for 90% of the time and you get 10% where it might sound good when you start to improve. If you're only practicing the stuff that you're good at, it feels good because it's like, I know how to do this, but there's no growth in that. You have to actually suck at it for a while and then you can start, you know, showing it in front of other people. The good news about like doing feedback is that generally I think there's a, there are things, steps you can take that really soften that and speed that up. There's some conventions that you have to learn. And we've talked about this before with the, the high five, I think. If you're running or something, you try to give a high five and you miss it and you feel kind of silly. If you look at the other person's elbow every time, you'll always get a high five, correct? And so if you're trying to explain to someone who's never done a high five before, just look at the elbow and then do it and you'll hit the hand every time. So that's a convention. And eventually you can stop looking at the elbow and you'll just always hit the high five. So like there's some similar things with this where you just have to learn the convention. It feels a little sort of corny even like, really, I'm going to learn this step-by-step thing. Life is chaos. And yes, conversations are chaotic. There's no... Once step one has happened, I go to step two because you have another person in there who might jump around. But knowing and learning the conventions helps you to navigate through the chaos. I love that. One of the things that I said earlier is that I appreciate about having a leader like Tom in the organization is that he likes having these conversations. That didn't happen right away, I'm sure, for him. But I think in your organizations to create a good culture, you've got to start role modeling that, right? And developing that. Tom, I was curious, do you remember back in your younger days at our company when I had to give you a difficult conversation? Um, Why don't you be specific? (laughs) I'm nervous. I'm terrified. No, I just remember. I just remembered it too when we were talking about you as a musician. But one time you would come in, we'd have these big staff meetings, and Tom would roll in looking so haggard, tired, you know, you know. And I'm an energy person, so I'm up there working, trying to get everybody going. And I'd look over at Tom, and he was practically asleep. Because right? I had a gig. Because I had a gig the night before. Me off. Yeah. Yeah. You had it. Well, I didn't know that, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I have my own story in my head, but I'm like, what? Who is this dude? My night job. Yeah. <laughs> Playing a show somewhere that was probably really fun. And now I'm coming to work the next day dragging. Yeah. And I didn't drink right, coffee so back I'm- then either. So. <laughs> That was the problem. So I went to your boss at the time, right? Because you didn't report to me. I went to your boss because I was just, I was like, what the heck is going on with Tom? He's so annoying. Like he's practically asleep in my meetings, da, da, da. And she said, you know, she outed you. She said, oh, he had a night gig. You know, he's still a musician too. And da, da, da. And I'd be like, well, 
you know, that's fine, but he's got to bring it when he shows up. She said, I'll, I'll talk to him. But I said, no, no, I'll, I'll talk to him. I was imagining her saying, oh, Christine feels this way. And that just felt weak. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I need to step into that driver's seat and make sure that I can have this conversation with someone. So I remember going up to you and being like, I'm sure I was careful with it, but I know what it is from uh, my I remember. I remember this moment. I do clearly. But go ahead, go ahead. It, yeah, but I want to hear it from you first. Tell me, was I terrible at it? I think <laughs> no, that I, in it. my mind, in my mind, I said, you know, I don't know what's happening with you, but your energy seems really low mm -hmm. and it drags everybody else down around you mm -hmm. because it looks like you're having trouble staying awake. And this is a really important company-wide meeting where we all get together and you're subtracting from it with your energy rather than adding to it. That's yes. the feeling I remember. How mm -hmm. it came out, I don't know, because this is probably, you know, 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. But what is your thought? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, that's pretty accurate. That's pretty close to what I remember. But hearing you tell me that is interesting because you did follow pretty much one of the key models of this thing which is oh, or one, a, a key component of feedback that people skip, which is the impact, stating the impact. That's something that has to happen. You have to know the impact yourself as a supervisor or else why are you giving, if you don't even know how this is impacting negatively performance somehow, usually the company's performance, then you have no business giving the feedback. You have to know the impact and then communicate that impact. And that's what you did there. You, you told me, you didn't just come to me and say, Tom, you look like crap, can't look like crap in our company. Tomorrow, I need you to look better, right? <laughs> that would be, that would be feedback. That would be feedback. And it would actually, I would take it seriously and go, okay. And I would have to think about it and then show up. Oh, Christine doesn't like me looking like crap. I'll come in tomorrow looking more awake. By crap, I mean that I would look. So I'm sure I was dressed well, but <laughs> but I'm <laughs> but I'm I'm going to come in tomorrow, so make sure that I'm not sleepy. But instead, what you did was you did something really important, which was you made me feel connected to the company by telling me the impact that my behavior was having on the company. That even though it's corrective feedback, made me feel connected. And so my feeling when you told me this, I remember it because it's hard to get feedback from the president of the company. That's corrective feedback. So I took it really seriously. You came to me and you said, basically, just as you described, and I was like, oh, dang, people can see it. Mm. So from your perspective, I'm assuming you probably thought, oh, he thinks he could just come in here looking like this. From my perspective, I'm like, I think I'm pulling it off. I'm like, I know I'm tired, but I'm still young. And by the way, I was at that age now where your body can't do this anymore. It was easy in my 20s. Now it's in my 30s. It's not so easy. And now my body's kind of like, everybody can see it. I didn't know y'all could see it. You told me we can see it. And you said, and this is how it impacts things. And by telling me that, I actually feel more unified, strangely. Like I feel connected to the company because what I do matters. Mm. And I felt like you actually strangely made me feel important to the company because there's a power there in the way that I'm presenting and it has an impact. I have no idea otherwise. I really don't. So you can assume that I do, but I don't. But instead you shared it with me. I knew that. And so what it did actually, I took it really seriously. I had to make a decision then about whether or not I was going to continue with music regularly or start turning it down. And that's a hard one because as soon as you start turning down a couple gigs, people stop calling you for a lot of them. 
but I made that decision. I was going to only do really select gigs that were not, that were on Friday, Saturday nights, <laughs> never on a weeknight. And cause I never wanted Christine to look at me that way, but also mainly I didn't want to have this negative impact on others. So you shared the impact with me. Now, the thing that's interesting, we're not, I don't think we're going to talk a lot about positive feedback or affirming feedback, but the same is true for affirming feedback. Sincere and specific praise is great, but I, I'm going to yes and it because I don't think it's enough. And that's Stephen Covey, right? The sincere and specific praise, I believe, comes from that. And I love it. I think you have to have sincere and specific praise. It's better than saying great job. Specific and state the impact. And that actually, for me, it comes from Mark Horseman's. I learned that initially from the Manager Tools podcast, which I recommend to folks. That's something that I heard from there and forever used. I always put the impact in in affirming or corrective feedback. So that would be something else I would say to anybody. It's like, you have to state the impact. And that's what you did there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because there have been plenty of times where I have chosen not to give someone that feedback and I've just written them off in my head, maybe previously, but I knew because of conversations that we'd had that you were interested in growth at the company and the organization. And I knew that this was something that if I didn't speak up would have stopped that because I just would have written you off. And I guarantee you, for those of you listening, that's probably happening to you in some way. You're writing somebody off. I didn't know he was doing his gigs at night. I didn't even ask him to stop doing his gigs. And a matter of fact, if you would have told me that you were going to stop, I probably would have freaked out in an empathetic way in my pleaser side and told you not to do that. So that's kind of interesting. But besides the point is that in that moment, the only thing I did that I know I did well was I decided to talk to you directly. After that, it was practice and I probably could have done things better and I was learning. But the most important thing, which you said earlier, Tom, is just the most important thing people can do is have the conversation. Just try. Yes. And Christine, you also were very timely. You did it the day that it was true. The day that I was super tired and dragging, you told me that you're looking really dragging. Like You didn't say that I had to change anything outside. You just said, you got to show up and be ready for work. You got to be able to, to do this. You know, You can't do the job looking like you do. It has this impact. Come in with the energy and ready to go. And I then had to make the decisions for myself on how to do that. But it was such a gift because that was actually the time that I needed to make that change. And that is how we make change in our culture. So every conversation, one at a time, at a time, at a time, at a time, makes overall change. When people say, how do we make a culture that it performs better? You have to have these conversations all the time. You have to be willing to, you have to role model them. You have to fail at them. You have to come back from them. In our next podcast, we're going to talk about exactly specific ways that you could do that. Maybe Tom will reveal some of his plan, some of his proprietary plan (laughs) that he has so that we can learn some steps. Have your folks who are struggling with this topic, and I guarantee you they're struggling, even if they don't tell you, have them listen to some very specific, actionable things you can do about it. Tom, so can you stick around and we'll jump into that next? Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. If you leave with one thing today, try to have impactful conversation with someone today and listen to the next podcast for some ways on how to do that more effectively. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast producer, Richard Francisco. 
Check out our notes for any details. And if you get anything out of this, please follow us. And if you enjoy it, please take a moment to rate us or write a comment. It will mean the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you just can't get enough, follow me on TikTok and check out tlpnyc.com slash podcast for more information.